Francis Schaeffer uh, was a leading Christian uh, in the 60s. See, when you get to my age, I reminisce about these kind of people and things. Uh, uh, but he was a, a leading uh, Christian man in the 60s. And uh, uh, looking out from the 1960s into the future, uh, this is what he said he thought the church would be. And I've written it down here. He said, Christians will live for personal pleasure and affluence. Physical health will be more important to them than spiritual health. Appearance will be far more important than spiritual character. Money and wealth more important than identity in Christ. And last year in one of the uh, evangelical newspapers, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, um, an evangelist who was... uh, a, an article on the centre pages um, he, he said this about the church he said we've become worldly Christians we still go to church believe all the right things in our heads but our lives are little different to the mass of unbelievers that we live among we're more conscious for our happiness than our holiness more concerned with our security than for the souls of unbelievers. Ours is a very laid-back, armchair, chatty-type religion that seeks to be served rather than to serve. We want a church that makes us feel good, hypes us up, rather than one that challenges us. And so often we opt for a religion that costs us next to nothing. Well, I think that... Francis Schaeffer's predictions have very largely come true in the church. But for some of us, maybe, we have a chance, an opportunity, with whatever years we have left, to buck the trend. And surely, surely, Bible-believing, evangelical Christians want above everything else to live a life that's pleasing to God, a life of holiness. Now, I suppose I better just, um, I'm sure you all know this, but uh, I will just remind you um, that uh, holiness in the Bible um, is uh, definitely not walking around with a kind of fluorescent polo mint above your head, a super halo, uh, being a super saint, a goody-goody, getting everything right, not that at all. Um, Holiness in the Bible is very simply being set apart for God. And so uh, I have here um, a book with uh, ordinary paper and print bound in uh, plasticky leather, and it says, Holy Bible on the spine. There's nothing special about it at all, except that this is God's word set apart for him. And so Moses in the desert one day comes uh, walking across and he sees this uh, bush on fire. And as he approaches it, um, a voice comes to him and says, Moses, take off your shoes because the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. And he would look around and think, what are we talking about? It's just desert. I've walked across this hundreds of times. It's scrubby desert. 
There's nothing holy about this. Look at it. But he was holy because at that moment it had been set apart for God's use. And that's what holiness is. It's being set apart. And so in the temple there were all kinds of uh, uh, items there. Um, uh, that articles and things, uh, pots and pans and tongues for taking off the coals from the altar. Uh, all the kind of things that everybody had at home except that they were described as holy because they had been set apart exclusively for God's use. So, when I talk about I want the Lord to help me to become holy, that's what I'm talking about. I want the Lord to help me to become more and more set apart, different, so that he can use me. And that's God's great call to his people. I'm sure that you'll have noticed in the Bible that uh, the Bible tells us all sorts of characteristics of God uh, that warm our hearts when we think about him. But there is one characteristic of God that stands out that the Bible underlines and underlines and underlines um, because it says that God is holy, holy, holy. A three-time emphasis. never says that God is love. Love, love. Never says that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. But it does say that God is holy, holy, holy. He is different, he's distinct. So I want us to look at these words in Hebrews 11 because it tells us here that the key ingredient to growing in holiness in our lives and character is faith. If we don't have faith, we won't be holy. And the Bible says without holiness... No one will see the Lord. So the stakes are very high. Stakes are very high. I want to see the Lord. I want on my entrance into heaven to be welcomed with good and faithful servants. Now, uh, it is a long, long time ago, but I do remember some things from uh, Bible College. And at Bible College, I was taught that often what is the key to fully understanding a passage of Scripture is to study or to look at what comes before and uh, what comes immediately after. So uh, I'm just going to read to you uh, the final verse of chapter 10. We've looked at something in chapter 11, but I just want to have a look at what how chapter 10 ends. It ends like this. It says there in verse 35, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will rejoice and receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And then uh, to follow uh, that idea, of looking what's before and what's after. I turn to chapter 12 and look at the opening verses and it says there, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith and so the same call to keep on and persevere to keep going right through to cross the finishing line not just slowing down and drifting across in your Christian the same message 
is throughout those chapters. It's said that um, Winston Churchill, after World War Two, as a kind of uh, great hero, um, was invited back to his old school at Harrow to give with his now renowned oratory greatest speech man that the nation has heard they invited him back to give the Founders Day speech and of course knowing that Winston Churchill was going to give this speech the whole platform was filled with the town's dignitaries and so on and um, when Winston Churchill was invited to go to the lectern uh, the whole group of uh, boys sat before him and the whole of the uh, folk on the platform stood to applaud him and uh, Winston Churchill paused beckoned for them all to sit down and he said uh, young men Never give up. Never, never give up. Young men, never, ever, ever give up. And with that he turned around and sat down. And you know, that's simply what Hebrews is saying to the Christians. He's saying, I know it's so tough to be a Christian. I know it's so hard to follow the Lord Jesus. I know it's so hard to ask for this being set apart for God thing. But never give up. Never give up. There'll be all sorts of temptations that come your way, busyness of life, illnesses, all sorts of things, but never, never give up seeking to follow Jesus and in writing to these Hebrew Christians who were flagging a little bit and settling for a quiet life slipping back into a worldliness in writing to them these folk who were in danger of some of them of dropping out and giving up not finishing the spiritual race These words are an encouragement to them to keep on going with God no matter how hard the path is. And this chapter is here to help us. Some of us here, like myself, uh, um, maybe think that uh, probably reaching the last lap. Some of uh, us here uh, who are not. But as life stretches out before us, there's all sorts of obstacles and things that seek to draw us away. And these verses are here to encourage us to keep on going right to the end. I would absolutely love it if, like Margaret from Church on the Green, my last day was serving the Lord. I'd love that. It won't happen to all of us. But to cross the finishing line, 
serving the Lord in that way. What a wonderful thing. It's always been like this in a way for God's people, the world, the flesh, the devil, everything against us, seeking to slow us down, seeking to uh, uh, halt our spiritual progress, to stop us so that we drop out, so that coming to church just becomes a bit of a duty. Um, you know, I better go because, you know, they'll, they'll wonder where I am. And there's all sorts of this goes on in the Christian's life. And uh, these verses are to speak to us, to encourage us, um, that God will keep his promises. He's made many wonderful promises to us. Um, we have the forgiveness of sin. We have the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Um, we've got uh, uh, the joy of salvation, the knowledge of uh, a home in heaven, the wonderful uh, blessings from God now. But of course we will only receive the fullness of our salvation when we finally get home, when Jesus returns or when we get home. And in the meantime, this chapter tells us that we walk by faith and not by what we see around us. Um, and we walk by faith trusting in the promise that God has made for our future. And when we live in a world with our eyes fixed on that other kingdom, <laughs> that God has for us, that he's promised us, we will live differently to others. We will stand out. And so I uh, took a few the funeral service a few uh, couple of weeks ago and the uh, church was full um, and there was that mixture of people in there. Those that had come to a funeral service and those that had come to thank God for a life lived for God, now home with him. So different as you talk to them. So different to all the people who shook my hand at the door. Those that had a different life. Until verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Um, by faith Moses, when he reached manhood, refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be known as Pharaoh's son. He's saying, no, that's not me. My real sonship is with God's people. And Moses did this at tremendous cost to himself. And the book of Hebrews is written to people, to Jews, who by becoming Christians had lost the great things of life. Tremendous cost. They'd lost their families. Uh, many of the Jews, uh, uh, when, when uh, uh, one of their flock became a Christian, they had a funeral service to say goodbye to them. As far as they were concerned, they, those folk were now dead to them. What a tremendous loss that they had. And the writer says to them in that kind of situation, just remember Moses. A glittering future 
It's the son of Pharaoh. Uh, the, the world's top man. Egypt, the superpower of the time. And Moses was his son, adopted son. Member of the royal family. All the money that he could ever wish for. All the, uh, all the power. As he walked down the street. Well he wouldn't walk down the street. The best chariot in the land. <laughs> um, never having uh, to ever prepare a meal. All done for him. And the writer says Moses gave all of that up to belong to a bunch of despised slaves. Why? Well, Moses chose to be with them rather than all the glamour and glitter of the Egyptian royal family. And the Hebrew Christians reading this would immediately identify with Moses. They've lost so much to be, to put their hand up and say, Lord Jesus, you're my Lord. They'd lost so much. They've lost the closeness of their family. They're in disgrace for following uh, the Lord Jesus. Look what it, it says. Well, I'll, I'll read it to you in uh, chapter 10. Uh, 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 quite at the end, it's in verse 33. It says, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecutions. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated you suffered along with those in prison accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that yourselves had better and lasting possessions and so on and so on they'd lost it all their property their family their careers it's a very costly thing for those hebrew christians to associate themselves with the people who are despised and in disgrace by the society of that day and Christians who found themselves so unpopular, there was this huge, huge, big temptation <laughs> to say, this is too tough. This is too much. I did not know it was going to be like this. I thought that this was going to be better. And to slow down. And eventually to give it all up. Jesus warned his followers about this. The Sermon on the Mount begins, Blessed by my Father are you when men turn against you and falsely accuse you and persecute you for belonging to me. Now I don't think I received very much persecution, but as pastor of the FIEC Evangelical Church um, there in Bailden, um, I am considered an outsider from Shipley Churches together and we ever attended one meeting of the ministers there and because I was uh, um, it was the first time I attended many many years ago when the first time I attended they asked me to tell the rest of the folk why we are an independent church a church on the green um and uh, I did my best just uh, without, I hope, not uh, being tremendously ungracious, but I did my best to explain to them that we are a fully committed Bible-believing church. And that shapes the way that we are. And so that's the reason 
and you kind folk at this minister's meeting that we could not put our name on your latest Easter leaflet because and we went through that and so I'm now an outsider um, I was uh, um, dismissed and derided for uh, those kind of beliefs you're not telling me that in whatever year it was I can't remember you really believe things have moved on so I don't experience persecution in that sense but there is a degree of intolerance for folk who seek to walk closely to the Lord with the truth of this word at the centre of their lives there is a degree of intolerance and so I ask myself and I ask folk at uh, back there at Church on the Green will we still be able to sing with conviction as the years roll on tell me the old old story will we still be able to be singing that at Church on the Green tell me the old old story of Jesus and his love that old gospel message that saves oh will we have traded it in and bought into the kind of different modern gospel I don't want to appear too critical <laughs> now I hope that we never um, descend into being one of those churches that uh, um, are like sticking the muds and not open to any change at all but uh, um, but I wonder if uh, in the future the pressure on the Bible believing churches will mean that we buy into that different modern gospel that's all around us today the kind of uh, um, what do they call it messy church type uh thing that generally sticks a little five minute thing at the end after um, spending 55 minutes or so playing with plasticine and painting and brushes and then someone comes and does a little five minute talk at the end um, I wonder if uh, we will buy into the thing that uh, was said to me that no one now comes to a church like yours or like this. So, uh, well, let's meet in the pub. That's the way to get to people. You know, people don't come to church anymore. Let's meet in the, let's meet in the pub and have a chat. Get the armchairs out. Light the fire. Forget that preaching stuff, you know. That puts people off straight away. <laughs> no one's ever going to come Church, churches like yours are dead uh, you're a dinosaur David church on the green there you live in the dark ages hymns and prayers sat in rows the chap behind a, a lectern at the front preaching believing all that bible stuff that all of it's true no one does that today give it up just look around you you see, not all the churches are like yours. They don't have a couple of dozen people in the chairs. There are some big, big churches with very impressive uh, buildings and facilities. Just look at what they do. Look how they worship. They don't have, they don't sing 
Churches one foundation type hymns with all that piano. They've got the, the band at the front. Um, you see, that's what brings people in. And unless you change and do what these other churches have done, you'll be gone in the next decade. You just look around. You'll not survive. And the writer here says, Christians, Christians who are under that kind of pressure to slow down in the race, to compromise in your walk. Remember Moses. He wouldn't accept the popular way. It was all laid out for him. He didn't have to change very much. He could, he could have still stood in his conscience, oh yeah, well, I'll, I'll follow God. God knows my heart's in the right place. He would not accept the popular way. And he became an outsider for the sake of God and God's word. And when I say that, I remember that Moses was brought up by his godly mother. He would have been taught God's word. That's what would be in his heart. And so the temptation comes to us from all around us to drop out. Don't live in the past. Don't be so dogmatic about the Bible and its teaching. Other churches aren't. And look at them, how they grow. People don't listen to half an hour's preaching anymore. Just ditch it. Just have a little talk. That's what people are. You see, people will come in and uh, and they'll listen for a couple of Sundays and they'll think, is that what they are? 30 minutes of preaching. I just want a little talk. I'll go to, there's a church down the road. They only did 10 minutes. So that's what I want. So give it up. And so, uh, the pressure comes. You see, because they've got lots of ammunition. You say, why don't you come to have a look at what happens in a church that gets rid of all the boring bits. And of course, the biggest boring bit is the Bible and the preaching of the Bible. You say, get rid of all that. Just come and have a look. And what happens? Come and see how big our church is. How big our offering is. How wonderful our building is. All that we can do together. And the pressure comes. And so, uh, Apostle Paul writing to uh, Timothy says uh, to the pastor, Pastor Timothy, there in chapter 4, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Preach it in season, when it's popular, that's my bit, in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears 
want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. So, it simply comes and says to us Christians, oh, there's lots of pressure. It doesn't look good. The stats don't support our stance. 158 of FIEC churches have congregations of 25 or less. And the writer comes and says, never give up. Never, never, never give up. It's tough, it's hard, but God calls you on to say, don't slow down. Even when you think you might be approaching the last lap, run hard. It's the last lap that determines the result of the race. Don't slow down spiritually. Never give up. See, I always said to our folk that I'm absolutely sure that we could double the size of our congregation within a year or two if we abandoned our stand for the Bible and its teaching in my 12 years as pastor of that church and we've had people come and uh, nice folk good folk to join us been with us for a little bit of time and then something crops up in the preaching and they come to me at the end and they said did I hear you right? Are you? did you really say that a Christian in this church is called to make Jesus number one even before my family well I didn't say it the Bible said it and they leave and some other people come and they say you're not telling me that you are preaching and believing that Nice, good folk like my neighbours or my family. Really, the nicest people you could meet. That You're not telling me, seriously, that people like that can end up in hell. And they leave. And they say, surely you don't hold to male leadership in 2017, do you? Surely you don't. You can't. And they leave. And the pressure to change and to compromise just a little bit to see a few more. Particularly in a church like the one at Church on the Green where when everybody's there we probably have 30 and it's very rare that we get everybody there. The the pressure to lose people because of our stand for the word is tremendous. And so the Apostle Paul says, seek to live a holy life, set apart for God and you will be persecuted. There will be lots and lots of things that seek to stop you running the race and make sure that you don't cross the finishing line. Now I don't know whether I'm going to be able to get this to work. Um,
Or I'll just press that. No. I don't know whether Chris said Nick might get room to the No, it hasn't worked. But but I'll I'll tell you. Sorry? It was on the computer, I think. Go on, Richard. That's a joke. And Richard will spend five minutes with this now, and when you've watched it, you'll think, well, it wasn't worth it, really. <laughs> yeah. to it and I'll tell you what it was <laughs> while you're listening the pictures really were of uh, the Olympic Games where um, great British champion athlete Derek Redmond reached the final and uh, a third of the way around he, uh, he pulled his hamstring and fell to the ground. And uh, the, uh, I suppose the power of the pictures is that with all the officials coming to drag him off, he pushed them all away, and he got up, and he hopped on one leg to the finishing line. And I really just wanted to show you that. Um, not to encourage you to hop to the finishing line, but simply to remind you that God says uh, don't give up there will be falls uh, spiritually we do fall and slip and, and uh, we disappoint ourselves the message is simple from this uh, book of Hebrew I've never preached with a musical background before uh, it's very American <laughs> <Keep> going <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this, I'll have to try this again. <laughs> and uh, those words that you might hear were his father, who came out of the crowd, uh, because uh, as Derek Redmond neared the end, hopping on, he really couldn't make it, and his father came out. And uh, those words said, we started this together and I was going to make sure that we ended it together and I wanted really just to use that as an encouragement to me that yeah I really do want the Lord to make my last years years where I grow spiritually but I know what I'm like and I know that I tend to drift and wander I'm prone to wander and there'll be times when I just make a flop of it but I want to remember that I've got a heavenly father who will pick me up and will 
encouraged me to finish this spiritual race. Isn't that what you want to do? Truly? Not just to be a, a church person coming along and listening. Don't you want to run for God in this world that's opposed to believing the truth of the Bible and to finish the race? Well, I say to myself, um, David Morris, and I say to you, Bethel Church, don't give up. Never give up. So if I come again, I'll still find you running the spiritual race for Christ. May that be true for us all.